he is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Welcome to the 90s Football Hall of Fame show, a podcast brought to you by thefootballfaithful.com. I'm Steve McGovern, and I'll be in charge of the tactics board for this episode. I'm joined by first-team regular Peter Henry. How are you, Peter? Evening, lads. And super sub, Anthony Kelly. How are you doing, Ant? All right, lads. How are you doing? And not too bad. Uh, this week's inductee into the 90s Football Hall of Fame rose all the way from non-league football to the top of the English game. Yes, we are talking about the uncompromising left-back Stuart Pearce, who made 400 appearances for Notts Forest and won 78 caps for England during a long career that saw him become one of the most notorious and well-respected players in English football. Peter, tell us briefly, what type of player was Stuart Pearce and what stood out about him? Um, I think he was a player that was almost like universally popular, Steve. There was, there was so much to him. Uh, you know, he was... You describe him as a warrior in terms of his physicality, in terms of the mentality he, he brought to a game. So he had that kind of real, you know, old school approach that people would love. But then on the other hand, he was actually a brilliant attacking left back, scored screamers of free kicks, had a thunder bastard of a shot and would go on marauding runs up and down the flanks. So, um, yeah, like a hugely entertaining, entertaining player who created some memorable moments i think he's a player so many people look back up back up with with great fondness you know and what is your earliest memory of Stuart pierce as a player well it's funny because i was i forgot how much i loved pierce when i was doing the research for this like he, he's just a player who when i was a kid i was kind of in awe of him but like as my collective conscience sort of often didn't really come in until you were 96 which is funny because i, knew, I was aware of who he was but my uh, my earliest kind of memories of admiring Pierce and, and loving him as a player was was Euro '96. Obviously, that that famous penalty he scored against Spain. But that you know he kind of personified England in that tournament for me. The kind of player that you love. The, the kind of he's the footballer that I think all fans should love as well. Uh, and I think in in that tournament he played the way uh, any of us would if we got the, got a chance to play at that kind of level. And he he brought that to every single game. But Euro 96 stands out for me as, as my earliest memory of him. Well, you bring up his England career, we might as well get straight into it because I think one of the most vivid and most talked about moments to do with his career is with England. It's with the 1990 World Cup in Italy and he missed that penalty against Germany as as did Chris Waddle, which sent them out of the semi-finals, and you know they missed out on, on the World Cup final. 
Uh, and that, I mean, like that was absolutely huge, and that was something that kind of Pierce had to carry around for a while, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it stayed with him for a long, long time. Um, a, a lot of people very close to him say how, how much it affected him. You know, he was he was Mister Reliable as well as, as Pete said earlier on. He was he was kind of like a warrior on the pitch, a big personality. Um, and you know, we, we we talked about Gary McAllister um, the other in the last pod missing that penalty um, for Scotland against England, and you know. You forget sometimes these guys are only human, and that was that was England's biggest game in in over two decades, and our best performance at a World Cup. So the, the pressure on every single one of those players in that shootout was immense, and it's it's not the worst penalty as well. Eddie. It's, he, you know the, the keeper just kind of saves it with his trailing leg as he's diving, and you you just really really feel for him, and it, it was kind of exactly sort of compounded by the fact that he, he was then called in to do a random drugs test with two other uh, two of the German players. On, on the opposite team and he, he said he'd been baited it was such a hot sort of summer in Italy that the police said the players were losing about eight pounds in, in, in sort of sweat and water uh, during the game and he, he just couldn't pee and you know to do his to do his drug test and he basically had to sit there and, and basically sealed in a room with two players who had just beaten him in the semi-final having just missed a world cup uh, a penalty in a world cup shootout for England so you really, you know, you get a sense of a guy in, in isolation on his own, and he, he, I think he carried it with him. He kind of roared back into um, into success the next season, having his, his best ever season for Forest. He scored 16 goals from left back. But I think while it fueled him on, it was also big baggage for him, and obviously it led to that kind of iconic celebration uh, against Spain six years later. When it's just, it, it's probably the most visceral demonstration of emotion you'll ever see in a celebration one of those genuine outpourings of relief and almost kind of anguish as well <laughs> just score coming out of them at once it, it really is a brilliant uh, a brilliant celebration proper iconic it really wasn't actually that good of a penalty either was it like he was quite lucky no, um, it was, and, and yeah. it's funny like as myself and Steve are, are obviously Irish so as, as Steve would attest it's kind of bet into our DNA there's no point in beating around the bush from from an early age we are not allowed to support England in any way in any sporting event particularly major tournament football but I think every football fan because of the nature of how Stuart Pearce was when he went up to take it like that's probably my biggest memory from that entire tournament is actually that penalty because you were just like oh please man please score I don't want England to go through, but please, Stuart Pearce, don't miss this penalty. You don't deserve it. And like you said, and just the raw emotion afterwards, it was, yeah, it was just brilliant to see. So it was really redemption for him, you know, even though he scored against Germany as well, funny enough, in the in the semi-finals. But it, it was obviously bittersweet then because I mean, England went out. If you actually look at Pearce's career, it's it, it, that kind of again, Euro '96 just personifies him as a player, really, in a way, really, really top highs and quite, quite sad lows. He, for a player of his immense ability, he didn't win that much, and he was close so many times: two semi-finals for England, uh, three FA Cup finals, and he didn't win. Uh, he, he didn't pick up a winners' medal. And um, yeah, it, it was it, Euro '96 was was bittersweet for the entire squad, but Pierce was aging, and obviously that was. Probably it was his last chance with the national team to to win some major honours. And to be as I've said before, I, I still hold to this day that that's probably England's last great, fully great England team because all over the park we had quality. There wasn't a position where you thought, oh God, we're we're fairly weak. 
people talk about the golden generation with Ferdinand and um, Gerard and Lampard, but you know we didn't have a goalkeeper and we didn't have any width in that team. You know there, there, were, there was glaring holes in it. Euro '96 was a very very talented England team and it just came up short. I mean it it really was a, 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 a sort of nearly nearly moment for everybody, and I think it would have been fantastic had Pierce have got that winners medal. Yeah, he had a phenomenal England career. To be fair to him, like he did make his debut till he was 25, and yet he won 78 caps. He, he essentially he essentially locked that position down for the best part of a decade, you know. And I think after Terry Venables took over from from Graham Taylor after uh, England failed to um, qualify for the World Cup in '94, one of the first things was he did was ring up Pierce and say, look, I'm sorry, but, you know, you're going, you're not going to be my number one. It's going to be Graham Lasseau. Pierce, to be fair to him, supposedly around the camp, he, he was still picked for the squads. He, Graham Lasseau says, you know, he really helped him, absolute professional. And then Lasseau broke his, dislocated his ankle. So even getting back into the squad for that Euro 96 was something of a redemption. And then to go on and, and perform so reliable reliably and, and and create that iconic moment you know it's it's a testament to his to his character as well because i think you know he was 34 35 by then i think a lot of players after the heartbreak that had come before would have just said look i'll i'll just walk away from international duty you know yeah he, he was he was still playing like four years later for the england team as well it was absolutely crazy sort of the longevity he had for england and i think he he cherished every single moment playing at that level i think for a guy you would who had worked his way up from like the very bottom of the football pyramid, and the the, the kind of person he was as well. And um, he just loved playing for his country. You don't, I don't think you get that. So you know, people, a lot of players talk now about how proud they are for playing for England, but you you, you get an idea that it's platitudes and players going through the motions. But with Pierce, you could just tell it was all very very sincere. You know, he, he wore his heart on his sleeve for England, and you really wanted him to to, to succeed and to thrive. Uh, well, it, I think it's fair to say that Pierce also had a reputation to his name. I mean, it, there's a piece on our website, thefootballfaithful.com, a hard bastard 11, in which obviously Pierce features at, at left back in a piece uh, written by our own Harry Diamond. And it's obviously, uh, is, is it a reputation that is well earned, Peter? Yeah, I don't think necessarily that, unlike some other 90s hard men, you know, kind of Julian Dix, Vinnie Jones, not saying they weren't hard, but... They kind of played, they, they liked to play up for, to it a bit. I, I don't think Pierce was necessarily that type of character. He, you wouldn't want to get crunched in a tackle, and he, he did have some pretty nasty tackles over the years, but I think he got sent off four times in his career. Not that bad, really, considering for, for a guy nicknamed Psycho, it was just the, the blood and thunder that he put into every single challenge. But then, you know, on the other side of that, like I said, he, he was so talented in his ability to strike a ball and to and to break forward from left back. So uh, that's kind of what made him so interesting to, to watch as well and, and why he was, I think he was popular w- w- with nearly all football fans because there was this, such this rough, hard edge. But on top of that, he, he could really play as well. He was just more hard than he was dirty, I suppose you'd say. I'd agree, Steve, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I mean, Harry has written as well another piece. He said uh, that uh, Stuart Pearce was affectionately nicknamed Psycho. And can can you affectionately nickname anybody Psycho? <laughs> well, I, I think it, there was definitely a lot of affection for him from ex-pros. Uh, a lot of respect and possibly a lot of fear as well from people who played with him. 
Um, so perhaps it, it's a, it's a combination of, of all of those things. So, but yeah, John Barnes tells a you know tells a great story about when he first saw him playing. You know, played with him for England, and um, he it was the first uh, the first time that the, the Brazilian fullback tried to go past him, and Barnes said he'd never seen a guy fly into a tackle the way Pierce did. And it wasn't like, as Pete said, it wasn't that he was dirty and he was trying to hurt the guy. I think Barnes said he was actually more concerned for Pierce because of the ferocity of how he went in and the, the, the coming together of the two plays. He, he must have hurt himself doing that. He's going he's gonna to dislocate his ankle. He's going to smash his knee up or whatever. And I, I think the way he played and the, just, just everything he brought to the game, that kind of all or nothing, guts, so no, no guts, no glory. I, I think it just kind of... You know, the, the nickname suited him off the back of that. Really, he, he was who he was on the pitch, and he, he didn't, as Pete said, he didn't play up to it. It was, it was who he was. He was very genuine. It was, he, he couldn't hide it. He had no other way of playing. He loved, loved punk rock. He loved death metal. You can just, you can just picture him going down the road in his car with like some, the heaviest death metal possible, possible <laughs> blaring out the windows. Like I'd say, they loved it when he did did the playlist for the dressing room. Yeah, I'd say so. But I, you know, I think everybody's playing football, even at you know at a lower level or whatever. You'll quite often have these lads on your team that are that are quite quiet and reserved off the pitch. He's quite softly spoken when when you see him interviewed. And then when he when he get across that line, they'll just thunder into tackles, and you can barely comprehend that this quiet lad is is going out there just almost hospitalizing hospitalizing people, but not in the necessarily. <laughs> The most dirty way. It's just like every bit of aggression has been taken out out in a football pitch, and yeah, that will to win, the, the desire, and just like Anne said, the blood and guts. It just it just shone through whenever you watch Stuart Pierce play, you know. Obviously, yeah, uh, Roy Keane was coming up through the ranks at Forest while while Pierce was there, and apparently Keane said that Pierce was a man amongst boys at Forest, and I suppose it says something if if Roy Keane is looking up to you, but. You know, he obviously had a, a reputation for, for scoring a lot of goals, uh, despite being a defender. Uh, he was a bit of a tap-in merchant, though, wasn't he, Peter? Yeah. I was well, I was looking <laughs> at the YouTubes of his videos there last night, and he do, it's brilliant to watch. And I definitely have to post a few on our Twitter account tomorrow. He, like, he does the full Roberto Carlos run-up every time he's taking a, a free kick from distance. <laughs> Obviously hits them with like amazing amounts of power, but he still kind of curls the ball as well. Scores some brilliant ones against Man United, against Sheffield Wednesday. You've got that extra bonus points for going in off the crossbar a few times. You know, I actually hadn't seen a lot of Stuart Pearce goals in in a long time. So so looking back, it was really good to see. But he also quite a few of in his in his top ten goals. There's a few of them where he kind of gets the ball deep in his own half, and he'll yeah. kind of pe- play the ball into midfield follow it forward, you know, get it back, play it off again. And before you know it, he's he's in front of the goalkeeper and, and flicking it by him like a like a striker would. So, um, yeah, he had some real talent and he was a vicious crosser of the ball as well. Absolutely whipped it in. So you'd have to say tech, technically very good. But it was one of them, like he had such a reputation, Steve, for taking free kicks. Like the 92 FA Cup final against Spurs, which is more kind of commonly remembered for the Gaza tackle when he injured himself tackling uh, Gary Charles. He scores an absolute rasper there in off the, the, cro- the crossbar in that. And he, he it, it was a bit like, you remember after Carlos scored that free kick or for the first while after Ronaldo scored the one against Portsmouth, it was also lo- almost like this pantomime feel whenever you know, Nottingham Forest got a free kick against your team. It was like, oh, Stuart Pearce is coming and 
you know, he'd have the big run up and all. And as we all know, like they rarely convert them, these players with the big reputations. But it was something I always remember. It was like, oh, here's a free kick. Here's Stuart Pearce up to take it. Yeah, and there's actually Nottingham Forest have, you know, his, his top 10 goals for the club on, on YouTube. And uh, the first one is it's an indirect free kick, which you don't see, you know, ever anymore really but uh he absolutely whacks it in and yeah he he definitely liked uh hitting them with a bit of bit of venom ant didn't he yeah I, do you know when when pete was talking about his the way he hit the ball it almost looks like he's just whacking them you know when you when, when you look at them you think oh god he's, he's just absolutely caning that there and you know you, if you didn't know much about footy you'd think oh you know it's just a bit, bit of hit and hope and it's just got the power to take it past the keeper but if you look at them on the replays, like the trajectory he gets on the passes, Pete said there's real whip and, and curl on the shots. And there's one he scores against Coventry in the uh, in the League Cup semi-final at, uh, at the City Ground. And again, like uh, as Pete said, in off the bar, and he always looked better when, when right in that sort of corner, right in stanchion of the goal. And if you look at the reverse angle, because the, the replay, the replay of it's superb, and it's almost from like the third person. Um, angle the replay you see it like the, the trajectory arcing towards the, to the goal and the, the guy clearly had such good technique to combine with that wonderful power and finesse the way he could hit the ball you know it was almost kind of like um, almost like Gerard-esque sometimes the way he hit the ball with, with that kind of power but with that lovely accuracy and yeah you know so many so many great goals if you just have a, have a look through his, his sort of his uh, highlights reel even towards the end of his career you know I, I remember he scored one against Spurs uh, in the FA Cup in the quarterfinals, and uh, again, as Pete said, that kind of expectation as he's as he's running up, and he just kites it. Keeper's got no chance. Even you know, the, the, if it, I think if it hit the keeper, it would have taken him into the back of the net with him. You know, it's just he was had that that wonderful ability to uh, to absolutely spank the ball, like brilliant. He bizarrely became caretaker manager of Forest in December 1996 while he was still a player. After it was a Frank Clark was sacked. Yeah. And his first match in charge was at home to Arsenal in the league. He admitted in an interview with Match Today that in his first attempt at picking a starting eleven, he did not realise until it was pointed out to him by his wife that he had omitted goalkeeper Mark Crossley. Forrest, however, won the match 2-1, which is a <laughs> unbelievable story, really. And he actually ended up winning manager manager of the month for January 1997 but was replaced by Dave Bassett anyway. And uh, Forrest were relegated at the end of the season. So, that, I mean, Peter, that's an absolutely bizarre story, really. Yeah, he probably, considering how the rest of his managerial career, he probably should have quit after that. <laughs> 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 the Moon Trophy, you know. Um, <laughs> player managers were, were still the thing then. And, you know, he'd been at Forrest 12-odd seasons, as you said, made over 400 appearances. So you could see why they, why they gave it to him. But obviously, you know, that did, didn't last long. And he goes on, prolongs his career for quite a few seasons after that. Testament to his professionalism as well, that he went on, had a couple of seasons with, with Newcastle and, and West Ham afterwards. But he, he's such a such a great career with, with Nottingham Forest. You know, it, it, his backstory as well, he, he came from, you know, non-league football, Wellstone Town, late into his teens, got a move to Coventry. Yeah, he was used as a make weight in a deal, basically, to come to Nottingham Forest. And there's an hilarious story now that Brian Clough didn't really rate him when, when he joined. And I'm not sure if it was Pierce or Clough who did it, but they put an ad in the Nottingham Forest match program after he joined, advertising his service as an electrician because he, he was a qualified <laughs> electrician because they were so unsure that this lad was actually going to make it. 
that they were putting an ad in the program that he could maybe do a bit of electricity <laughs> electrician work for the for the Nottingham Forest fans, which is which is just brilliant. You think about that, that's kind of you know, mid-80s. Can you imagine a Premier League match day programme today advertising the trade <laughs> services of one of their footballers? Like it's just absolutely Michael. absolutely brilliant. And he obviously would have been under, you know, Brian Clough for, for so long when they were a great cup team in the late early early nineties. Won a couple of league cups, obviously a lot of disappointment when it when it came to um when it came to FA Cups, but he was club captain there for I'd say close to a decade and you know, you said it about Roy Keane, and I think you know if you asked any Forest fan who was growing up in that era, I'd say he was, you know, he he would be the player that they would say represented that club, you know, in their mind uh, more than any other. He, he's a real legend there, like you know. It seems like a real like a uh, cheapskate thing that the teams did back in the day. You know, having someone like Pierce as the as the caretaker, and then players take over as as manager. What it's like they're trying to, to pay for you know uh, somebody to do two jobs at the one time. But uh, he he then left on a free transfer in 1997 to Newcastle United, and to be honest with you, I completely forgot about his spell at that club. Was it as forgettable as my memory suggests? And I mean, he was there two years. I, again, it's difficult to kind of say Pierce was a forgettable player anywhere he was. Uh, he, he joined the Newcastle team in transition. They weren't as you know there was high hopes when they appointed Dalglish. Uh, up at Newcastle, I remember the, the, the massive hype back when, like you were a kid and you were waiting to get your hair cut, and you used to have those those footy magazines where, where that you used to read, and it was all like, Newcastle might win the league with Dalglish, and they were a decent team, but they were never fantastic. And Dalglish started to sign like a lot of veterans, John Barnes and Ian Rush at the time. Got to an FA Cup final, obviously 1998, uh, lost to Man U, but you know he'd say he, he did a solid job, um, you know, for a player who was by that time, well into his late 30s, um, you know, to be still be playing for a team with aspirations of winning trophies and playing in Europe, it just shows you how, you know, well thought of he was at the time. I must admit, I don't think it's it's the most sort of stellar period of his career, but again, as Pete was saying, it's a testament to how he was as a professional at a club that highly sort of ambitious would still take a, take a punt on him and a manager like Dalglish would still take a punt on him at that age. He then went to West Ham United in 1999. He stayed there until 2001. Peter, we said in the Julian Dix episode that Dix was an extremely unique player. You know, a, a, a really hard-nosed fullback who smacks them in. And uh, I can't believe we never thought of Stuart Pearce in comparison. Yeah, it's it's like he he came over. He he picked the mantle up from from Julian Dix um, when he went to West Ham. Um, in many yeah, ways, straight replacement. Yeah, in in many ways, you'd say there's so many similar car- characteristics. I, you know, I'd say Stuart Pearce was definitely a better all-round footballer. But yeah, like in many ways, you'd say with kind of West Ham fans, they're probably playing into stereotypes. A, a you know a full-blooded player like Stuart Pearce would, you know, he, he was very much suited to to their fan base in some ways. Um, and he he did all right there. Harry Redknapp was. Was the manager, you know, I was reading last night, he was saying that quite often he'd ring Harry and say that that he wasn't he wasn't going to come in for training. He'd just go and train in the park and just go over and do laps himself. You just get the get the impression of a, you know, he was n- named psycho, obviously, because of, cause of his uh, approach on the pitch. But, you know, uh, you get the impression of a guy who was absolutely meticulous in terms of how he prepared, how he looked after himself. And that's obviously why he was still playing in the Premier League 
close to 40 for, for West Ham, you know. Again, yeah, it's, it's just testament to, to how committed he, he was as a footballer. And he created some good memories there as well. There's, there's a couple of good goals on YouTube. He spanked in there as well with, with his trademark trademark run-up, you know. Yeah, well, he, re- he definitely reached he a couple of milestones them. there. I mean, he, he, he became the oldest player to be sent off. <laughs> At 38 years and 341 days, when you received two yellow cards against Everton at Upton Park in March 2001, and then the year previously, he became the fourth oldest to score a Premier League goal when he found the net against Southampton in a 3-2-1, and, uh, and he was 38 years and 216 days. So he was well, well into the winter of his career and, and still uh, making a name for himself. Well, he won Hammer of the Year in 2001 as well, um, which which again just shows you the the, the longevity and the, and the, the kind of calibre of performance he was still putting in at that end of his career, and like the ambition he had to still be the best player on the pitch is quite remarkable when you think uh, he was about 38 at the time, 39, and he won Fans Player of the Year. It's crazy, like. He then went on to Manchester City in 2001, where he won the first division title under Kevin Keegan in his final season in 2002. So that was a nice way to kind of round out his his playing career and brought him up to 40 by the time he retired. You know, in the Mark Hughes episode, we discussed, you know, Hughes's legacy and whether or not he's kind of been forgotten about or whether people actually just forgot how good he was rather than completely forgotten. I mean, you look at Pierce's career and while he doesn't have, you know, league winners medals or anything like that like he was a five-time pfa team of the year appearance maker and um, but all of those came in the old first division and you know football didn't exist before 1992 etc cetera, etc cetera. so do, do you think peter that his his legacy is kind of similar to mark hughes in a way yeah i do think maybe you know a lot of people with the first me- memory they'll have of Stuart pierce is kind of as not a great manager as at Man City with England under 21s, it was kind of bizarre. He got that the Great Britain job he had, and then um, he was even caretaker England manager as well for for a little bit. But I think the thing that he has over Mark Hughes is well, obviously he was English, and you know he had that amazing kind of redemption story from being the guy who missed the penalty in the semi final to you know creating that iconic moment at Euro '96. So I think. Anytime there's a major tournament or people talk about kind of iconic England moments, his name will almost always come up. So I think he's kind of remembered, not necessarily for his club career as much, although it was amazing. I'm just saying what pops into you know people's minds straight away. But I think he he's kind of always remembered as that kind of England player that had his redemption, and on top of that, that, that and and said it earlier. You know, he was like a fan on the pitch in terms of how much it meant to him in in terms of the full-bloodedness he brought. So I think for that reason, I think internationally, he, he definitely is still very much remembered for for his playing career. Um, although there is, you know, there is an element of players, once they go into management, they can often be remembered for being crap managers more than they were great players. But I would have to say, Steve, I look at Steve Bruce's, or sorry, uh, Stuart Pearce's managerial career with great fondness because the, the sub, substituting David James um, up front as a striker is one of my all-time favourite Premier League moments. It just makes me laugh. I've seen it about a thousand times. It just 
makes me laugh so much every time I see it. Like, you, you, ever, you pointed out on the on the Peter Schmeichel episode how like you know just a keeper going up for a corner causes mayhem. I mean, this is absolute pandemonium with 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 David James basically sent up. I I still to this day do not understand what was going on at the time. I think I thought I understood, but then I'm like, wait, why why wouldn't you just throw? It? He had John Macken, an Ireland international striker, on the bench, <laughs> and he decided to throw on a second keeper. It just I still don't understand what he was doing. I'm I'm pretty sure that Stuart Pearce thought this was going to be a genius move. Um, but obviously it just turned out like if you ever want to know what a bull in a china shop looks like, that's David <laughs> James in the middles for a box. He's just all out. He's taking players out left, right, and centre. He just doesn't look, like he looks like a giant in between people. It's just it's just pure comedy gold. Yeah, it's did it's he, amazing. Did he win a penalty as well? Did he not, did he not win a penalty for City when he came on as well? As no, I, did, I remember, he, I remember. He, he gave away a couple of free kicks. I know that much. <laughs> Did he? I, I, just, I do remember I remember him being like just pinging around the box it was hilarious it was, it was last day of the season wasn't it and they, what were they going was it for a place you in Europe for cups, I think. yeah you wait for cup yeah they were going yeah, for a place yeah, in yeah. Europe I'm sure they got a penalty because didn't Fowler miss the penalty so maybe it was a genius move from Pierce but, yeah, but I'll have to fuck it up City couldn't score goals that year so I think that was just Stuart Pierce's last throw of the dice my strikers aren't going to score. I'm just going to put the big man up top and uh, see what happens. And I, I'm, I'm, for, for one, I'm glad it happened. My life is more complete. Haven't seen that. So, so the, I'm just watching the highlights now. And at one point, he tries to go for this audacious like flying volley, and then just takes out the defender. <laughs> and then the ball somehow hits like his the opposite leg, the heel of on his opposite leg. I just don't, I don't know what was going on.
as as a player with his ability deserved. You know, he should have mentioned loyalties to Nottingham Forest, which was probably contributed to him not winning the trophies he probably should have. You know, Man United were looking at him at one point. There were clubs in Italy looking at him at one point. He definitely could have gone and had success elsewhere, but he decided to stay and help Forrest get back into the Premier League. So he played a player of immense loyalty. Um, as I said earlier, you can't help but admire him as a person who loves football. Stuart Pearce is just one of those footballers who makes you love the game even more. For him to have risen from you know non-league where he was doing his qualifications to become a spark, you know, like his football didn't work out for him. Uh, to be, you know, to become like a bit of an England icon. Uh, I still to this day, when I get a bit tired and people say, oh, who's England's, you know, greatest left back is uh, Ashley Cole or Stuart Pearce. I think it's actually quite an unfair comparison because, you know, if you look at Ashley Cole's career, it, it just dicks all over. Pearce is really, you know, because of the trophies he won and played for Arsenal and Chelsea, who were the great teams in the country at the time, got over 100 England caps. But there's just something about Pierce. It's that kind of Roy of the Rovers type, you know, chest out, you know, blood and thunder player on the pitch. And it meant so much to him to be playing for England, which is why I prefer him. Don't know who, you know, technically is the better player. That's an argument for another day. But for me, he's one of England's like most likeable uh, defenders, uh, players of all time, really. So absolute icon, in my opinion. All right. Well, I think that is the perfect way to end this discussion. Uh, Stuart Pierce is the latest inductee into the 90s football hall of fame up next we've got a quiz this quiz is brought to you by football index you can get a 20 pound bonus when you sign up for a new account just use the offer code ff20 this week lads i want to know how well do you remember the 1999-2000 Premier League season. So I've got seven questions all about the season. You know the rules. Uh, I'll ask you a question. You'll uh, shout out your name. That'll buzz you in and you've got 10 seconds to answer. So uh, are we ready to go? Is it multiple choice that you're doing? Uh, yeah. Cool. Question one. Who finished top scorer that season? Was it Alan Shearer, Dwight York, Peter. Michael Bridge? Go on. Kevin Phillips. Kevin Phillips is the correct answer. It's 1-0, Peter. Question two. Which team finished bottom of the table with what was, at the time, a record and, premiership low of just 24 points? And go ahead. Um, I think it was Wofford. Wofford is the correct answer. And that makes it one all after two questions. Yeah, an absolutely rotten team. <laughs> yeah, they were terrible. <laughs> right, next question. Which Irish player finished as top scorer that season? Niall Quinn, Robbie Keane, Dominic Foley or Roy Keane? And, oh, and you got in there first? Uh, I don't actually know. I was just going to guess Niall Quinn because he had a good season that, that year with Phillips. Peter, he's made a mockery of you. He's gotten it correct. Yeah, well, it he just got, in, just got in before me. Yeah, no, they, hey. they were one of, one of my all-time favourite Premier League strike partnerships, Phillips and Quinn. They were yeah, they were crazy. Brilliant, yeah, they were superb. Shut that wicked wiki page down, Andrew. Answer, you're doing that thing where you act subru- you you act like you're guessing at the questions. Oh, shut up! You always do that when you're losing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should have heard him last week, Ant. He was positively demoralised when he just got absolutely smashed by Stephen Tudor in the quiz. <laughs> I'll put that on my calendar. Way to work tomorrow. That'll do me. Question four. A 1-0 loss on the final day to which team caused Liverpool a Champions League place? 
Ants here, Ants. Ants, you got in there? Uh, 1990, last day, it was Valley Parade. We, it was an awful game. We lost to Bradford 1-0, I think. Uh, correct, yes. Uh, no bonus awful. points for guessing the scoreline, but yeah, that makes it uh, 3-1. It was Bradford City. We only needed about four points in our last five games, and I think we lost like we lost three of them or something like that. It was credit. To, to be fair, though, you went on and then won the UEFA Cup that season, so you know, it yeah, worked out in the end. Um, yeah, yeah. Next question: Which team managed to finish 14th despite going the entire season without an away win? Was it West Ham, Newcastle, Middlesbrough, or Coventry? Peter. Peter, you got there first. Yeah, no, it's definitely Coventry. Coventry yeah, is Coventry. the correct answer, yeah. Because Burnley yeah. nearly did it there recently, didn't they? Do you remember one season they only won once, I think, away from yeah. home? Yeah, I think that's yeah, right. Didn't Blackpool get relegated having won six games away from home or something stupid like that? I can't remember. Yeah. But they would one for a different quiz, probably. But... Um, yeah, only 90 stuff here, and Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Question six. Who was named PFA Young Peter. Player of the Year? Oh, oh shit. shit. <laughs> Go ahead. Stop it. <laughs> Go ahead, no, Peter. I was gonna. I mean, I as soon as I heard PFA, I shouted in because um, young player, young player. I'll go with Stephen Gerrard. Stephen Gerrard isn't even on my list of options here. And uh, and go ahead. I think it was Harry Kuehl. Harry Kuehl is the correct answer. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he he won it that year. That makes a four two to add. It was funny how he, he was he was so good for a few years there, and then he went to Liverpool, and he he just seemed like dreadful. You've answered your own question, then. He went to Liverpool. That's that's what we did to players back then. <laughs> well, to be fair though, a few Liver- a few of the players who like stuck to the end, they ended up having like Alan Smith at Man United, just didn't have a good post Leeds career. Bizarre, really. Yeah, there was a few. Next question. Man United lost only three matches all season, including a 5-0 defeat against which team? Peter. Go ahead, Peter. Oh, I was too quick off the mark. 1999. Newcastle? Newcastle no, is, is incorrect. Oh, oh, I think I know who it is now. Uh, Ant, do you have an answer? I can guess. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um I'll just I'll just have a wild stab in the dark and say Arsenal. Arsenal was also incorrect. It was actually uh, Chelsea. Yeah. Right. So the final question, per the figures of transfermarkt.co.uk that I have here, which of these high-profile signings cost the most? Thierry Henry, Emil Heskey, Chris Sutton, I, or Massimo Taibbi? And you I, got there. I think it was Emil Ivanhoe Heskey. Emil Ivanhoe Heskey. Is the correct answer. Yeah, that makes it five two to Peter. You are this week's. Oh, sorry, five two to Peter. Five two to. I'll take that. I'll take that. I won. <laughs> oh dear. Thanks. Dude. I can't even win. It's not even fair. This. <laughs> Say it again, Steve. Go on. Say it again. <laughs> that makes it five two to Ant. You are this week's. You are this week's uh, quiz uh, champion, and. Uh, Peter, you're on a bit of a you know a downward slope here. You know you, you, you the form is going out the window here. You know you what's going on, man? Ah, not at all. I changed. I, I've been sitting down. And I'm gonna have to go back to. Sleep. Ah, is there problems at home? Is that what's going on? Yeah, no, I'll I, I'll be back. 
I'll be back. Just like it's just like Stuart Pearce in Euro '96, I'll be back. It's too late in the '90s for you, Pete. That's what it is. It's too close to the noughties, 1990, Your forte is like uh, early to mid '90s, isn't it? Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was going to raves and stuff, kind of uh, towards the '99-00 season. So it's a bit, it's a bit, <laughs> bit shaky. My knowledge around then. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Well, that's all I needed to know to end this episode. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed our show, then please take a moment to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can check out more football content on thefootballfaithful.com. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at footyfaithful underscore. Thanks, Peter, for joining us tonight. Cheers, lads. Enjoyed that. And thank you, Ant. Yeah, enjoyed that, lads. Nice one. Thank you. Thank you for listening. <laughs>